Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Listen, uh, find your sermon outline in your bulletin, and let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, please. Isaiah chapter 8. You'll find that on page 1072 in that book rack Bible in front of you, and everybody should have a Bible open. If you're sitting next to somebody with a Bible and they're looking for Isaiah, Uh, and you know how to get there, help them, find it. Um, Isaiah, Old Testament, find the Psalms, that's kind of in the middle, go right, you'll find it. It's a big book, lots of chapters in Isaiah. So today we begin a brand new series on Advent, we're calling it The Light of the World. There's so much in scripture about light. And we're going to zero in on four sections of God's word, four passages throughout this Advent series that give us a different perspective of the light. And today we're going to look at seeing the light, just seeing it. Advent is a time where hopefully people see the light, hopefully people seek the light, hopefully people shine the light, and hopefully people share the light. That's a little brief outline of the series that we're going to be in starting today. See the light, seek the light, shine the light. Share the light. Most people, a vast majority of people today have not seen the light, what we're going to talk about today. It's amazing. The light shines, but a lot of people haven't seen it. Unaware, darkness sort of hangs like a canopy over people's hearts so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. It's a mystery to us. The light shines, but so many people have not seen it yet. Have you seen the light? Have you come to the place of seeing the light? That's what we're going to look at today, seeing the light. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talked about this cloak of darkness that covers our hearts. And I'd like us to read that out loud. I know we're in Isaiah, but we'll put this on the screen. This is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Would you read it out loud with me together? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Wow, that's a powerful statement. The God of this age. There is a spiritual enemy that seeks to cloud the vision of the beautiful light that God has exposed to the world. And the God of this world has blinded the eyes. There's so many people walking in darkness, so many people living in darkness, That may be somebody here today. In fact, all of us probably have areas that seem dark to us today. And we're going to look at this picture of darkness and what does God do about it and and how has he met this issue of our darkness when he has so much light? We're going to see all this in Isaiah chapter 8 beginning in verse 19. You can follow along as I read and I'm going to give you a little warning. Some of what we're about to read you've never read before. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's going to be this really familiar, oh, I've seen that on a Christmas card. And today we're going to just try to put all the context together. Because the Bible without context is is trouble for some people. So we're going to look at context and see what God has to say to us today. Would you follow me as I begin in chapter 8, verse 19? When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living, to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. 
When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bark across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. I sold you some familiar things and some unfamiliar things in that passage. And this is an amazing passage. And what I want to show you today in a brief exposition of this little section are three movements that all speak about the light that's coming into the world and the the relevancy of this light. And we'll identify all that right here in the text. Three movements. And if you're taking notes, I want you to recognize in this first paragraph, chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, a simple theme of this little paragraph is that our world is dark. Just say that with me. Our world is dark. How many agree with that today? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the darkness that's in the world. And, and here in Isaiah's day, there's this darkness. And would you just circle in your own Bible, if you have your own Bible, the phrase, because this is the key phrase of this whole little text right here, they have, verse 20, they have no light of dawn. That's the way a lot of people are living. They have no light of dawn. Their, their world is dark. And Isaiah... Let's talk about Isaiah for just a minute because I want to give you a little bit bigger picture of what's going on here. Isaiah is an 8th century B.C. prophet, okay? Prophesied uh, during and after the reign of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And around 8th century B.C., here's what's going on in the land of Israel. You've got a divided monarchy. Remember King David? He had a son named Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. When Rehoboam became king, the, the nation split. Ten tribes of the north decided to put their own king in. He was, his name was Jerob, uh, 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 Rehoboam. No, Jer- Jeroboam. Jeroboam the first. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is down in the south. And all of a sudden you've got this divided kingdom. You've got ten tribes in the north. You've got two tribes in the south. There's like this civil tension between both groups. The king in the north decides to set up his own worship centers as a rival to Jerusalem. He sets one up in uh, uh, Dan, way up in the north, and Bethel down in the south. 
And he calls the people to go worship in those places. Samaria becomes the kind of the capital of the northern kingdom. And for what follows in the centuries to follow, all of this takes place around 920 B.C., where the divided kingdom takes place, you've got a continuation of an unraveling of God's people religiously, economically, uh, spiritually, uh, in every, politically. It's, it's all going downhill. The northern kingdom is fraught with uh, religious practices that were sort of blending with the worship of Yahweh, Baalism, the Canaanite gods. Everybody starts worshiping false gods and even mingling the, the worship of the one true God with worship practices that were set aside for, for cultic gods and the gods of, the, of, of other nations. And this whole thing begins to unravel and prophets God sent to his people to warn them, to turn around, to repent, to come back to him. It was not his design that his kingdom split apart. And so the prophets would speak of this one day when one, the king, the, the ruler that would sit on David's throne would rule forever and ever. And this we know from Old Testament history was a picture of Messiah that was coming. He would be from the line of David and he would sit on David's throne and he would reign forever. And the prophets would warn and speak out against the injustices of the day and the unraveling of the people. It was dark. It was so spiritually dark. And around this time, in 8th century B.C., we've got Isaiah coming along the scene. One of the biggest, we call him the major prophet of the Old Testament, not because he was more important, but because his prophecies were so long. It's a huge book. He's a major prophet, and he, he's prophesying in the south. He's prophesying to Judah. He's speaking into the king that sits on the throne in Jerusalem. But he's also prophesying, thinking of what's happening in the north, and some of his contemporaries, northern prophets, Hosea, Amos, they're doing the same work that Isaiah is doing, prophesying God's voice to the people. Turn and repent. Come back to God, Yahweh. Come back and surrender your life to him. And in the meanwhile, people continue to turn, continue to turn, and darkness and darkness and darkness comes in. It was a dark day in Israel's life that Isaiah comes to prophesy. And he's prophesying to a king named King Ahaz. And Ahaz uh, was not a good king. He was not good for his people. He sat in the representation of God for his people. And he was, worried, he was equivocating. He was thinking that the north, meanwhile, what's going on in the north during this time is the great kingdom of Assyria is having a, a resurgence of power. Assyria was a major world power. Uh, First was Egypt, then was Assyria. And Assyria was a, a kingdom power that was, was amazing. And, and it was resurging its power during the time of Isaiah's day. And they were coming down into, from the north. Damascus was falling. Uh, they were soon to land in the land of Israel. And there was a, an alliance of kings uh, in the north, including the king of, of Israel, who was trying to make this alliance so that they could become, you know, on good terms with Assyria that was coming in. And King Ahaz in the south was looking at all this, and he was worried, and he was now shaking hands with the former Egyptian empire of the south, saying, maybe you guys can help us. And, and Isaiah is saying, would you stop looking for man's help? We need to get back to what God has to say. 
We need to trust God. And so Isaiah is being very bold to King Ahaz. In fact, if you go back to chapter 7, uh, he actually goes out to meet King Ahaz in verses 3 and 4. Go out. God tells uh, Isaiah, take your son uh, share Jashub to meet Ahaz at the aqueduct of the upper pool in the road of the washerman's field. They're meeting at the aqueduct because one of the first things that happens when you go under siege is that your water gets turned off. And Isaiah wants Ahaz to know that he's got something really important. And here's what God says. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. And he's speaking about uh, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, who is serving as king over Israel at the time. They're just smoldering stubs of firewood. There's not even a firebrand in them, Isaiah is saying to Ahaz. Because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aaron and Aram and of the son of Ramaliah. And then he goes on, he says, um, don't worry about them saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make it the son of Tabeel. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Now, what, what, what Isaiah is saying to Ahaz is he's saying, look, Assyria is going to come down. Assyria is going to supplant Samaria. And that's exactly what uh, King, uh, I believe, if, if, if I have my notes right on this, and let me just look at one thing here. Tiglath-Pileser was the king that actually entered into the land of, of Israel. Uh, and then it was Shalmaneser, the next king, that actually put a siege work up against Samaria and within three years, that king actually died, and Sargon took over for Assyria, and they, they, they exiled the people of Israel out to Assyria, and they brought Assyrians into that region known as Samaria, which intermingled among the people. This was Assyria's way to sort of put away uh, any rebellion. And so that whole northern region in Samaria, we know when we come to the New Testament, the despised people group known as the what? The Samaritans were sort of the half-breed. They were part Jewish, part Israel, and they had intermingled with the Assyrians who had come to live upon them. And that's why the Jews in the day of the Bible uh, despised the Assyrians and despised the Samaritan people. A little bit of a history background there. But notice what Isaiah says to King Ahaz. He says, you don't have to worry. Assyria is not going to come into Judah. They're not going to do it. God's telling Ahaz, uh, telling Ahaz it's not going to happen. Within 65 years, the northern kingdom's not even going to be a kingdom anymore. And in fact, in history, Bible prophecy is so amazing. That's exactly what happened. Northern kingdom is wiped out. They're dissolved. They're taken into exile. And it wasn't Assyria that came into Judah. It was what kingdom? It was Babylon. Right, so Assyria was actually taken over by Babylon, and that was two centuries later. Isaiah, the prophet, is speaking about stuff that's going to happen in the future, and he's not only talking about two centuries later, he's actually telescoping all the way out to this little town of Bethlehem where a child is going to be born in this dark world. Oh my goodness, the light shines. Now let me just talk about darkness for just a minute and I'm gonna roll through this really quickly. I took a little too much time in the first service but let me just, in, in verse 19, sometimes darkness is the yearning to meet our spiritual needs apart from God himself. Uh, let me just illustrate that by what's going on in, in Israel at the time. Look at verse 19. 
uh, Isaiah says, if you're going to consult mediums and spiritists, shouldn't you inquire of the Lord your God? This was sort of that syncretism, the blending of the religions of the world with God's people. And there were people looking for the future by calling up the dead. And Isaiah's going, are you kidding me? We, I'm speaking the truth about the future, and you would rather go and talk to people that are dead? What do they know? The whole medium, the whole occult was creeping into that region, just like today. It's funny today to me to see a rise of spirituality in our culture that is completely turned off to and against biblical orthodoxy. It's just thick. People want to be spiritual. They want to have some kind of spiritual relationship. And I talked to someone, a, a young lady in her 20s, just a few weeks ago, and she was really searching and really hungry for, and I thought, wow, Lord, you're opening up a door. And I said, have you ever considered reading scripture? And she just looked at me like I, right at that moment, became brain dead or something. I mean, she just said, the Bible? Ah, no, she just despised. She dispensed any sense of accuracy, relevancy, or relatability to her life. And I had a few minutes, not long, but just to encourage her to rethink that in terms of the authenticity of Scripture, the power of prophetic word in the, in the Scriptures. And, and yet, I think we went away from that conversation. She was, eh, that's not an option I'm going to be looking at. I'd rather look at Eastern mysticism. I would rather look at the paranormal. I'd rather consider what, what those kinds of messages can bring into my life. That's amazing to me. This cloak of darkness that's over people's hearts. Same as in Isaiah's day. Should not a people inquire of their God? I love how Isaiah says this. Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. He's saying, if we don't get it from God's word, we're not going to get it. Secondly, sometimes our darkness is a political darkness. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but in Isaiah's day, it was a political darkness. King Ahaz was not leading the people with accuracy. And even in the previous chapter, chapter 7, Ahaz is given the opportunity. This is a golden opportunity. Isaiah says, look, if you don't believe me, ask for a sign and God will give it to you. And, Isaiah, and, and Ahaz, the king, says, oh, I know, I shouldn't test the Lord your God. And he doesn't ask. Here's the prophet of God saying, look, you're equivocating. You're thinking about joining arms with Egypt. Just ask for a sign. God will give it to you. And King Ahaz says, no, no thanks. And so Isaiah says, okay, this will be a sign for you. There will be a young virgin, and she will be with child. You see, that, that little beautiful verse in Isaiah 7, 14, you can just look at it and underline it. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Isaiah says, here's the sign. We, we often look at that as this beautiful little portrayal it's on Christmas cards. That is a severe rebuke to a king who had turned his back on God. Here's the sign. The sign is a virgin who's going to give birth to a baby. And he's going to be God with us. Ahaz, politically speaking, was not leading the people correctly. 
That's the darkness of that day. There's a third point, little element. Sometimes the darkness is a chaos that we experience in society. It might even be a personal chaos. I mean, right now, just think about the, the chaos that was in Isaiah's day. Notice in verse 22, um, actually verse 21, the people will roam through the land. They'll be angry with their leaders, appropriately so, and they will even be angry at God. But that's not appropriate because God it wasn't God's fault all this stuff was happening. God was getting the blame for the terrible conditions of the people. Look at verse 22. They will look to the earth, which means they will not look up. They will look down and around. And what will they see? Verse 22. Distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. They will be thrust into outer darkness. This is a prophetic word to the nations, the nation of, of Israel and Judah for their present day contemporary situation but I can't help but to think that that also telescopes into the future where our world is experiencing much of the same things of Isaiah's day and even further our own personal chaos and issues that we're dealing with where we have a decision to make we're either going to look up to God or we're going to look down and around and we're going to rail and we're going to complain and we're going to be angry at all the stuff that's happening in our lives Think about the darkness that you're facing today. Just identify it. Just be honest with yourself. What is the darkness that you're facing? Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's a loss of a job, financial. It could be health issues, a diagnosis, uh, whatever it could be. It could be a broken relationship, a marriage that's gone south, something that's happened with one of your kids. It could be you're out on the streets. I mean, just there's darkness everywhere. And that's the world that we're living in. And God knows that. And God was speaking through Isaiah the prophet to say, I know this is happening. I know that there's darkness in the world. But watch this. Here's, here's the next movement of the text. And if you have your pencil or pen, look at chapter 9, verse 1, and circle that one word, nevertheless. Say that word out loud with me. Even though we live in darkness and our world is dark, there's a big nevertheless that God wants us to see. And the nevertheless is that while people are in gloom and in distress, and while this is true for the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, there's coming a time where we will look back on that time, and we will then see what God did when he stepped into that part of the world and changed history by sending his son. But that's the third movement of the text. We're not there yet. The second movement right here is that not only is the world dark, but say this out loud with me, God is light. God is light. You know, no prophet in the Old Testament speaks more of the light of God than Isaiah. 20 times in this book, I did a quick study, went through this book. You can do it too. Just do a search on the word light in the book and you'll find some beautiful imagery of the light of God in this book. The light that we should walk in, chapter 2, verse 5. The light that is in contrast to the darkness, chapter 5, verse 20. The light that leads that God leads us in, chapter 42, verse 16. The light that God creates, chapter 45, verse 7. The light that is God's justice to the nations, 51, 4. The light that we shine when we care about the needs of others, chapter 58, verse 10. The light to which the nations will come, Isaiah 60, verse 3. The light that is the glory of God, Isaiah 60, verse 20. Those are just a smattering of the pictures of the way God uses light as a metaphor in this book and sometimes not just a metaphor but an actual explanation of who he is. He's light. The world is dark but God is light. 
That is a great amen. It's thankful, thankfully in the midst of our darkness right now, we serve, we come to a God that is light. I love how Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. Would you read this out loud with me? 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, speaking of the character and the nature of God. Read it with me. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. (laughs) That's God. He lives in unapproachable light. That, That word means brilliant light, a light that if you were to stand in it, you would be vaporized. The light of God's purity is so great. While we are in darkness, we are all, in fact, before we are redeemed, the Bible says that we are darkness, but God's grace pierces through that. His light pierces through that. First John 1, 5, John writes in his little epistle there, he says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is the character of God. So when we see light, everything changes in our lives. Everything changes. If your world is dark today, personally, economically, socially, politically, whatever else you want to fill in the blank, here's the good news. God is light. And here's the question. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Does he bring hope in the midst of the darkness that we all face I like verse 2, the light that would dawn. Look at that in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. By the way, interesting little grammatical piece here. Notice the future is placed in the past tense. The light has dawned. That's a little device that the prophet uses to say, this is gonna happen. I'm going to tell you about the future and I'm going to put it in the past tense. I love that about God's word. So accurate. So true. Dependable. Believe it. Put your faith and trust in it. When people see God's light, here's what happens. And I'm just going to walk you down through this unfamiliar part of the text. First of all, verse 3 shows us that there's development. And if you're taking notes, you could just draw or write into there next to development things like Um, restoration, peace, redemption. Notice verse 3, you have enlarged the nation. That little phrase there talks about what God is going to do. Remember, at this time, Israel was constricting. It was, you know, Israel now is even no more. In Isaiah's day, he witnessed Assyria coming in and taking over the north. All the people of the south began to tighten up. We're smaller and smaller. We're just this little thing. And, Paul, and the, the writer Isaiah says, the light will come and God will enlarge the nation. That's a picture not only of the reality of God bringing uh, his people back into his land and all of this is fulfilled in prophetic uh, scripture, someday yet future, and yet it's a picture also of what has been taken away will one day be given back. God will expand what has been shrunk. God will give back what has been taken. God will redeem what has been lost. This is the beautiful part of what happens when anyone comes to the light, when anyone sees the light. It's the promise of God that he restores. He's a redeeming God. He puts things back together, amen? Amen. We don't always see it that way. We forget that the light of the gospel is a restoring light. God wants to restore your life today. 
It's not just, well, you know, someday in heaven, and that's true, because in this life, we don't always see the full restoration. So take courage, take heart today. If you're living in what looks like darkness to you, and you haven't seen that coming back, that enlargement, that beautiful restoration in your life, wait, because the day is coming. That's what the Bible says. God's going to right all the inequities, all the injustices. Praise God. That day is coming. Secondly, I want to point out that there's delight. There's delight. Look at verse 3b. The incre- he will increase their joy. They rejoice before you. There's a picture of joy here, a picture of delight. Light brings delight. I met with a young man this past week. He's been through so much, but a big smile on his face. I'm so glad God's brought me to know him. He just expressed over and over in the little conversation we had the joy in his heart. doesn't surprise me. When people get their life on track with the gospel, when they see the light of God, he puts joy in our hearts. He, he puts a smile on our faces. He gives us hope. Thirdly, there's deliverance. There's some imagery here of battles that are fought and blood that has been staining boots and garments that have been rolled in blood, but they'll be destined for burning. They'll be fuel for the fire. God's putting it all away because he's delivering his people. One of the contemporaries of Isaiah's day was a prophet named Micah. Micah prophesied with Isaiah in the southern kingdom. At the same time, Hosea and Amos were prophesying in the northern kingdom, just to give you a little context there. And Micah at one point, and, I, and I, as I read this, I thought, wow, I need to say this when I'm finding myself in times of darkness. And I want to invite you to as well. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said. He said, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. That's Micah 7, 8, 8 and 9. I love that. Try saying those words. Yes, sometimes the consequences of our lives bring a sense of darkness around us. But you just hang on, beloved. Because as you trust God, he's going to work deliverance in your life. Our God is a deliverer. He's a delighter. And he brings great focus and great help and development to our lives. I see three movements in this text. The first movement was the world is a dark place. The second movement in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, is that God is light. And with that light comes development, delight, and deliverance. And here's the last little part. And if you have your Bible, I want you to take a little pencil or pen, and I want you to underline these three words, for to us. That's the next part of this whole transition. No light of dawn, nevertheless, for to us. Those are the three hinge words in this text. Because for to us introduces that our hope is in a person. His name is Jesus. The world is dark. God is light. Our hope is Jesus. It's so simple. The world is dark. God is light. Our hope is Jesus. Say it with me. The world is dark. God is light. Our hope is Jesus. Can I introduce him to you? 
in verse 6. For to us a child is born. That's the birth of Jesus himself. That's the baby born in Bethlehem. But look at this. To us a son is given. How could a son be given? He was a son before he was the child born. This is really important Christian theology. We worship the Christ who lived, who was alive from eternity time past. He didn't become Christ or become God at his birth. Are you following this? He's sent from the Father. He is not the Father. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus the Son was given to us in that little manger at Bethlehem. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Oh, this is what Israel was waiting for. And he will be called. This is his name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What an amazing description, Prince of Peace, the picture of who this child, this son that is given really is. We did a whole series on those names, the name of God, say his name, a few years ago. He is the supreme wisdom of God in every situation and circumstance. He is the power of the Almighty whose life gives us the power to live for him and to be an overcomer. He is everlasting father, meaning he carries the same care and tenderness as a father does to his children. This is his name and he is Prince of Peace, the one who alone can bring us peace with God and give us the peace of God. And his name is Jesus. And how is all this going to happen, Isaiah says? This is the beautiful part. He says, look at the last little phrase. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. No one's going to stop this because God's determined to make it happen. And almost 2,000 years ago, it happened. Jesus came. And someday Jesus is coming back. And he is going to right all the wrongs and he will sit on David's throne on earth and reign a thousand years before all of that is wrapped up and a new heaven and earth and thus we shall always be with the Lord and all God's people said. And we've seen it. We look back. We look forward. The world is dark. God is light. And Jesus is our hope. Let's pray.